Welcome and thank you for connecting with us at Parkwood Baptist Church. Here at Parkwood, we exist to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. You can find more information about our church at parkwoodonline.org. By visiting our website, you will be able to learn more about Parkwood and our mission. Now join us as we grow together through the teaching of God's Word. Reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel, the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stood in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the day when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray. Father, I pray now for your people that you would open the eyes of our heart to see the truth of your word, cause us to make the connection and to see the promise and to see the promise fulfilled. Thank you that you keep your word and may we see it clearly now in Jesus name. Amen. In our society, birth announcements are a big deal. Gender reveals. People go into all kinds of creative and extravagant means through social media to communicate the birth or the gender of the child. Well, this announcement tops all of them the birth of John the Baptist, and then the announcement of all announcements, which will follow next week as we look at the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ. 
Today, here is our main idea, that the birth of John the Baptist signals the fulfillment of the arrival of the forerunner of Jesus Christ, revealing that the Lord keeps his salvation promises. For the next several weeks, we're going to deal with Luke chapter 1. In January, I will return and do the introductory matters of Luke 1, 1 through 4. But keeping with the Advent season and Christmas, we want to move through this text. But I don't want us to miss what is said in verse 4 of Luke 1. He says, he wants that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Certainty, convinced. Convinced of what? The things you've been taught. These are the promises of God, the promises that are contained in the Old Testament. So brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you as you read and study through the gospel of Luke, in your reading, you need to pay close attention to the references and to the allusions to the Old Testament. One writer said the abundance of Old Testament allusions means that Luke's account is no narrative for beginners because it cannot be rightly understood unless seen as the fulfillment of past promises and as the assumption is that the reader knows the Old Testament well enough to recognize the echoes that the narrator now brings. Well, since the prophet Malachi, the Lord has now remained silent for more than 400 years. And do not miss that Luke begins by God speaking and speaking through an angel. The angel Gabriel announces the birth of John to Zechariah during his once-in-a-lifetime priestly duty. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Little is said other than Herod, king of Judea. He was appointed by a Roman emperor. He is mentioned here by Luke primarily for the sake of timing. So we know when this is taking place. But you need to know that Herod was a ruthless and wicked man. And at the writing of Luke's gospel, everyone would have remembered that. Then he says you have Zechariah, whose name means Jehovah has remembered. He is the priest in one of the 24 divisions, in the division of Abijah. He is married to Elizabeth, whose names mean God is oath, meaning God keeps his word. She is also of a priestly descent, not that she's a priest. She is of the descent of Aaron, the descent to be of. So you have this couple, this couple who represent the priestly lineage, and it says they are both righteous and walk blamelessly. That doesn't mean they are without sin. It means that they obeyed God, that they walked blamelessly before him. They were a righteous couple set apart for the work of God, but they had no child. They were barren, and they were advanced in years. Now, brothers and sisters, unless you are struggling as a family, and particularly as a woman with having a child, few of us give much thought to this. But in this society, at this moment in time, for Elizabeth to be barren 
was a means of reproach upon her. So much so that people would have questioned whether she was a righteous woman, whether she was being punished because of her sin. So deep was the thought, humanly speaking, if a woman was not able to have a child. But God sees this different. He tells us who they are, that these are righteous and blameless people and they're advanced in years, meaning it's likely she can't have a child or she couldn't. She's past childbearing years. Now this reminds us of the story of Abraham and Sarah, Jacob and Rachel and Elkanah and Hannah. And in each of those moments, and as we anticipate what's written here, this means this, God's about to act. He's about to do something. Now, while... Verse eight, he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty. There were about 8,000 priests at this point in Israel. And they were divided up in these 24 divisions. Their division would go once a year and serve. So according to the custom of priesthood, he was chosen by law to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So one priest in the morning and one in the evening were chosen by lot of these 8,000 people. It was a once in a lifetime moment that a priest was to go closest to the holy place. Only the high priest could go into the holy of holies, but close to this holy place where the altar of incense was. And twice a day, they would offer this offering before the Lord. Now the priest would light the incense. He would first enter with two others. They would leave him there. He would light the incense and then he would lay prostrate before the Lord and offer prayer. And in verse 10, it says, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And they appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, and this is, our theme throughout the next several weeks. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. So the angel makes this announcement that his wife's gonna have a child and that his prayer has been answered. So what is the prayer? What is the prayer that he prayed? Obviously, He's prayed for a son. Obviously, he and Elizabeth both have offered this prayer, and I dare say many, many times. But the way this is written in the language, your prayer has been heard. It's in the tense to mean this is a point in time. So that means God saying through Gabriel that his prayer has been heard at this moment at the offering of incense. Now, would a priest have gone before the Lord on behalf of the people and only offered a prayer for himself? I don't think so. His duty, his responsibility at that moment is to pray for the salvation of Israel and to ask God to free them from the Roman oppression. He is praying. Zechariah is asking God with every priest night and day that the silence would be broken that God would speak and God has spoken. And he says, you're going to have a son and you're going to call his name John, which means Yahweh is gracious. God is gracious. 
And he is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who is going to set his people free, who's going to bring salvation. Verse 14, you have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. You will rejoice as his father and Zechariah, you're going to rejoice for his mission for he will be great before the Lord. The reason for his greatness rests in his character and in his mission. That's why he's told he must not drink wine or strong drink. The abstinence of alcohol here should put our minds to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the most important thing, this is a quote, the most important thing is that from the very first, John is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, without whose help God's work cannot be done effectively. John is the only person said in the New Testament to be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. This emphasizes the fact that God chose him and that God has equipped him from the very beginning, even the beginning of his life in his mother's womb. But now you turn to his mission. Verse 16. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him, that is the Messiah, in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And the spirit and power of Elijah. So both Elijah and John were celibate men who were set apart to God. Both of them wore rough dress. Both of them lived in the wilderness. Both of them were heralds of the truth. Both of them preached the message of repentance. Both underwent persecution, and persecution particularly from those in power. Elijah from Ahab and Jezebel, and John from Herod and his wife Herodias but he had a mission to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient of the wisdom to the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now I hope you hear it. What you hear there is the end of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter four, verses five and six. The last words recorded by the Lord to us in the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This prediction does not simply refer to the creation of family harmony, which it is promising, it is an image and a promise of repentance and a promise of conversion that God's going to turn the hearts of men and women, that he's going to remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And in repentance, he's going to restore the family, the most basic element of human life 
that God is going to restore the family's hearts to each other because he has restored their hearts before him. So with this connection to Malachi, we cannot miss that what we are now seeing is the beginning of the New Testament, that silence is broken, that the fulfillment has come. And as we think about that, let's look at how Zechariah and Elizabeth react. Zechariah and Elizabeth, advanced in their years, we need to remember that, respond to the incredible announcement and precious gift from the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now this sounds reasonable. For, for, for Zechariah to say, I'm an old man, how can this be? It sounds very similar to what Abraham said. How can this be? For I'm an, I'm an old man, I'm advanced in years. In other words, they're both saying we're past the child-rearing years. We also need to contrast it another way or compare it and contrast another way. Next week, you're going to see how Mary responds. This lowly woman who responds by faith. Because you see what Zachariah's doing in this moment. He's not being reasonable. He's not believing. He's not trusting what has been said to him. Remember, his name means God has remembered. But Zechariah is not remembering here. He's not remembering what God has done in the past with Abraham. And he doesn't trust the word from the angel. This is a sobering thought. It's a quote. It's not original to me. We can be a righteous person in the holiest places, carrying out the most holy acts of worship and still not believe God. Zechariah in unbelief. They are asking God for salvation. Having known, he's asked God many times for the child. And he hears this announcement and he responds with unbelief. I'm, I'm too old. My wife's too old. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. Two named angels in the Bible. Gabriel's one of them. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Gospel. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. This is going to come to pass, Zechariah. But until it does, you're going to remain silent. Gabriel gives this sign to Zechariah to remind him of his lack of faith. Now think about the words of Jesus. Opening eyes and ears, opening the mouth to speak. This is a constant reminder that he cannot speak, that he cannot offer up what God has spoken. He is reminded of his lack of faith during this season of silence. Now outside, the people are still waiting. This usually doesn't take very long, but, but Zechariah has been in there a long time. They were wondering at his delay in the temple, verse 21. And when he came out, he was unable to speak. So they realized he's seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. 
fulfilled the rest of his week. And when it says he was making signs and remained mute, what he was supposed to do is to step out before the people who were praying and offer the priestly blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. But here's what we know about John. I mean, Zechariah. Zechariah will not remain silent and unbelieving. Later on in chapter one, the birth of John takes place. And at the naming of John, once Zechariah writes down his name, the Bible says in Luke 1, 64, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. Praise God that he brings him from unbelief to belief. Now, Elizabeth. And after these days, Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among the people. The first question I have is, why'd she hide herself? It's possible that, and I'm sure there are women present this morning who have miscarried before. And one of the things that women who have experienced that learn is they learn to wait before they make a birth announcement. Possibly Elizabeth miscarried before. In fact, she knows she's older and she knows what likely happens to older women. So she waits. She waits five months in hiding until it's obvious to her and to others what has happened. And in the meantime, she rightly rejoices. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach from among people. Take away my reproach, she says. There's tremendous societal pressure. I mentioned this earlier. And that's what, what one of the primary things that Elizabeth sees here. She's no longer going to be under this reproach from people. So I, I want to just pause here and address sisters and brothers and sisters who are struggling with getting pregnant. And, and, and I want you to listen closely and I want all of you to listen as you might offer counsel to someone who is struggling with getting pregnant. First, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, my heart aches for you. Thank God we don't live in a society that puts the kind of pressure on people that Elizabeth is, but I know we live in a society and some of us in families where there's a lot of pressure on you to have a baby. Remember this, people are not your judge. You don't answer to people, you answer to God. But I wanna encourage you this, because this is one of my fears, because prosperity gospel is so prevalent Prosperity gospel will take a passage like this out of its context and assign it to an individual. You say, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. Don't you grab this passage and say, this is a promise that God's going to make me get pregnant. And I want to warn everyone. Don't go to a young woman who's struggling and say, quote, you've got a word from God. You're not an angel. God makes no such promise. And you don't need to make a promise that could lead to further pain and difficulty for someone. So what do you do, my sister and brother? 
You pray and trust God. You seek the Lord. You seek to keep your heart from growing bitter and weary. And you trust him. Back to Elizabeth. This older woman has recognized that God has intervened in her life. And what I'm about to say is not a rebuke to Elizabeth. But here's what I want you to see. Her understanding is limited. She thinks that the primary reason God has intervened is to vindicate her. Her interpretation of this pregnancy is incomplete. But soon, just like her husband, actually sooner, she's going to see the bigger picture. And this is powerful. Here's how she sees it. When Mary makes an announcement, this baby in her womb, filled with the Holy Spirit, moves. Luke 141. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That means she sees it. Now, Elizabeth and others begin to see and to believe that the Lord God has kept his promises, that he's doing something in them and for them and through them. He's doing something that is way bigger than them. So here's my question today. When you, when you come to a gospel, there are going to be moments of teaching where we're going to apply what we need to do. More than not, when we work through a gospel, we're going to be asking the question, what do we need to believe? So here's my question. Am I trusting that the Lord God has kept and will keep his promises? I invite you to turn with me over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So let's just reflect on this text as we think of Luke chapter one. We don't need a priest. We don't need a Zachariah to go stand twice a day before us. The promised priest has come and this promised priest has opened the new and living way. We don't live in unbelief, but we live in believing, believing in the finished work of Christ that through his own flesh, that he laid down his life for us in our place, that he opened this new and living way that we now may draw near to God. How? In full assurance of faith that we come believing God, that we hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because we know that the Lord has kept his promises. The promises that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we know that God will keep his promises. He is going to return again and he is coming sooner than later. And when he comes, he will make all things new. 
In my preparation this week, I came across this passage. Quote, most readers of the book of Luke live in a society where the fear of death and loss holds the majority subconsciously in its grip. Where ideologies of self-advancement and the artificially stimulated appetite for more of everything good now dominates our view of the world, our practical priorities, and our understanding of life's ultimate meaning. We as Christians, we must measure our hopes for today and tomorrow in a despairing world by the promises of God. The promises that have unfolded in scripture that extend beyond today, that extend beyond this material world. <laughs> we have a birth announcement to make brothers and sisters. Those who believe that Jesus Christ has come, that he has come to set them free. Those who have been born again and those who proclaim this message of Christ, others will be born again. We have a birth announcement to make. And I say with Jesus, John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. And if that life is in you, quit fearing death, for he will never leave you nor forsake you. Those who are in Christ are in him forever. Let us hold fast to our confession of hope and that without wavering. Let's pray. Lord, I plead, I plead for my brothers and sisters that we might not be like Zachariah, be in a place of worship yet unbelieving. I pray that we would believe. I pray for those who came in unbelieving, not trusting in the promises of God, not looking to Christ, I pray that today you would open their ears and their eyes to see you and to believe. And Lord, as we sing this great hymn of Christmas, may you work in us and through us that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. I offer this prayer in Jesus' name, amen.